Welcome back, everybody. This is Jason. And I am Jeremy. And we are back here at the music store. We've got a great new interview today. I'm really excited about this one. We had a couple episodes where we were doing our uh, sketchy, sketchy, bitsy bits. Guys who yell at clouds. Guys that yell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty excited to not have to listen to myself talk the entire time today. I'm looking forward to yeah. take it easy. I, got, I brought a ham sandwich. I'm going to eat my ham sandwich and have my coffee while we interview somebody. Just a few things. Uh, we are actually doing pretty well on the global front. Hey. We are... I don't know if you got the message, but fin- we... Finland, right? Finland. We got Finland. We got Singapore. We got the Philippines. Now, this one threw me for a loop. Ethiopia. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that we would be of much interest to anybody in Ethiopia, but well, hey. So, it's the same thing in India. Actually, India is rising up as our number two and closing versus the United States for listeners. And so, I've been doing some research. Apparently, there are lots of countries in the world. This is where I'm going to sound like a stupid American. God, I must say, things are certainly... Uh... Oh, God, please, you don't run into a bit of trouble, what? Oh, run, I'm really sorry. I'm just trying to get us back to our hotel. Oh, an American. There are tons of countries where they have different groups of people that have different dialects and different languages, and the one thing that they can agree on is English. Hmm. So I guess they're wanting to hear what a uh, couple of crazy yanks like us have yeah. to say about rock and roll. So to all of our global listeners... Uh, thank you very much. And of course, you know, we uh, love all our local listeners here in Barnegat and Manahawkin and South Jersey. I'm going to let you uh, introduce our guest and get the interview going. Yeah. So with us today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, uh, a wonderful musician and someone who is also entrenched into the arts. So he is able to pull a double whammy here. Uh, and this is Mr. Steve Steiner, a man who I've worked with quite a bit. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Jeremy. It's, I'm talking to the J man. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, at one point, everybody that worked here started with J. So yeah. people just come in and say, oh, I talked to some guy and his name started with a J. It's like, yeah, uh, one of us. Five or six people here. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about Steve. Steve. Yeah, well, I met Steve. Actually, I've learned about Steve through a local uh, regional theater in New Jersey on Long Beach Island called the Surf Light Theater. I believe the very first show that I ever went to go see over there was uh, Tommy. Uh, for all those that don't know, the you know pinball wizard comes from Tommy, the Who, the, the Who. Okay, and he did his curtain speech, and I said, "Wow, that guy has a regal speaking voice! My goodness, listen to him talk." And uh, Is it Shakespearean? Uh, well, you'll hear him. He okay. just it's very. He's he's when you hear him, you know when you hear him. All right. And then I wound up working for him a few years later. I, he wound up hiring me to do uh, a jukebox musical, one that is very near and dear to his heart, called the Buddy Holly Story. And uh, I'll be honest, I kind of owe. A lot of great career choices and uh, a whole longevity of this this career of, of doing 50s music because of the people I met in the production uh, that he hired to make this production Well, not, not to so. short circuit Steve, but so was he responsible then for what got you going and what became the Buddy Holly gig and episode that we had with Todd about your life on the cruise ships? Correct. Todd had worked with Steve uh, before and uh, he brought the show out to a casino and that's where we all got a chance to meet so okay so anybody who's listening we have a previous episode um i think it's called something buddy holly uh and it's a it's a great episode if you want to learn about what it's like to be a performer on the high seas so interesting i you know all the time we're talking i didn't know that steve was responsible for that so i guess my question is give us some background on how this uh this came to be your world 
what what was your background? What is your performance history? How you became to? Uh, he's the director, I guess. Uh, artistic director. Artistic yeah, director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what he's doing now. I mean, he's been he has quite a few. His his playbill is big. Well, I'm glad you like my voice, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, enough of that. Um, yes, uh, I started really, you know, uh, having an incredible appreciation for music. As a very, very young person, I had a record player, and I would listen to music for just hours and hours. I played the same things over and over again, uh, and this started when I was maybe five or six. My sister started taking piano lessons when she was maybe eight or nine, and so I took piano lessons for just a few months. I didn't have patience at the time to practice you know, and, and uh, sort of let it go by the wayside. But I still loved music and listened to music a lot. Then when I got into was it sixth grade, sixth grade, I went to a school that had a, a good instrumental music program and I started playing trombone and I continued to play trombone. Uh, and then when I went to high school, I continued to play pr trombone, but I also, there were some guys forming a band and I wanted to do that. And I didn't, I don't know how to play any of the instruments that were in the band, but they didn't have anybody to play bass. I said, well, I'll learn how to play bass, and that's how I did it. Uh, and I started learning how to play bass. I took lessons again probably six times, but then the guys in the band actually got me further than the guy that was teaching me lessons in the, uh, at the music store in suburban St. Louis. I grew up in St. Louis. And so uh, I started really learning how to play and learning how to play, I think, pretty well. Well, Jeremy's heard me. He's actually Steve, oh, is he Steve is Steve is a very good bass player. I've, I've not only have I played with him on a professional level, where he has uh, on a show that he uh, created all the arrangements for, and then he also played bass. I did a few gigs with him, and one of them, we kicked him a bass solo, and it was a Doobie Brothers tune. I'll never forget Ooh, it. And right. man, did he go off! Uh, I'll never be able to do it again. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. Then I started really getting interested in music. I was singing in chorus and, and choir, and, and uh, uh, by the time I got into high school, I was singing in like the special ensemble of men, male singers uh, and playing in band. And then I started taking be beginning band every year on a different instrument. It was kind of an unusual way, but I was really interested, so I said, well... I play trombone. Why don't I try baritone horn? And it took me, you know, about a week to get through the entire beginning band book. So I said, well, let me do it on trumpet, too. So I did baritone and trumpet that year. And the next year I took woodwinds and learned how to play the woodwinds. Meanwhile, I uh, started uh, in high school after playing, learning to play bass. I started learning how to play guitar. But um, uh, and so that's really where music uh, sort of took me through high school. Uh, meanwhile, I was doing the chorus and the choirs and all that stuff. I started doing the, the theatrical shows in high school as sophomore, junior, and senior. I did actually, when I was a junior, I was, uh, the lead in Carnival. The show we did in sophomore year was, uh, Where's Charlie? That's the musical, uh, based on the play Charlie's Aunt. And then, uh, senior year was The King and I, and I was not the lead in that one, but, uh, I was one of the supporting, uh, characters. And so, I went to school, I graduated from high school, actually, in 1969, at the height of the Vietnam War. And uh, our year was actually the last year that you could get a draft deferment to go to school. After that, they stopped having draft deferment. 
Uh, and uh, I have the greatest respect for anybody that's ever served in the armed services. But I have to say that at the time, going to Vietnam did not seem very appealing to me. Uh, and so I, I, I'm going to school and I'm going to study music because I think I can stay in school if I study music. I started as a trombone major. And then my choir director convinced me that my second semester, I should become a voice major. So I did. I started, I moved from trombone uh, to voice. And then uh, I decided I was going to take a double major in music. So I was a voice performance major, which is like in those days was sort of like an opera track. I also was instrumental education, which is as far from voice performance as you can possibly be. So it's quite different than uh, than a voice performance track. So that's that was my uh, that was what I studied in college. Uh, meanwhile, I was in uh, I guess my. Uh, sophomore year of college, the Six Flags Amusement Park outside of St. Louis was opening, and they auditioned. Uh, they hired, I think, like 16 from my college. It's not called Webster University. It's uh, in suburban St. Louis. And uh, so I went to work at the Six Flags Park, but also was playing gigs when I wasn't uh, when I wasn't in the show at the Six Flags Park. And I did that for two years. I guess it was around Christmas of when I finished, was going to finish my uh, senior year in June. I went out to see a club band, and I had a I had a band that was playing clubs to a degree. They were called the Young Californians. I remember it well, and I got to talking with the guy that was their music arrangement arranger, a fellow by the name Al Walker, who's no longer with us, but uh, he uh, we ha- he kept my information, and then when that band broke up, it was like right as I was graduating from college, and he asked me if I'd be interested in coming to California and rehearsing a new band. So I went to California and rehearsed a new band, and I was the bass player for this band. It was a close harmony vocal group, because that's the kind of stuff that Al used to write. Um, And uh, he had me singing the top parts because I had control vocally, uh, because I I was the only one that had ever had any voice lessons, but because I had control of my falsetto, he wrote me on the top parts, despite the fact that my actual singing voice is uh, like lower than the basement. So (laughs) I was uh, was wondering about uh, that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's uh, kind of how I got into that. And then after that, when that band broke up, I went back to St. Louis and took what I learned from Al and uh and that and that experience with him and put my own touring band together and we did that for like five years playing clubs all over the country i'm very fortunate uh when by the time that i was finished with doing that i had actually been in 48 of the 50 states uh and i have since been to the other two which oddly enough were maine and idaho what year what what time period what year years were these uh, that was uh, night, uh, when I was touring with my band. It started in uh, '74, and we did that until 1978. I have a feeling, and I could be very wrong, but that the the heyday of being a musician in a band and playing the states and going around and entertaining and stuff was probably peaked about the end of the '70s. I would say so. Yeah. Now, that's my blanket statement, but I just feel like but after that, it got disco came in 
Then DJs came in. I think DJs and, is what and, is and, that and, final but, nail and, in the coffin. Yeah, but like it, it, I feel like the seventies is when man, like you just you could be like a guy that was a working musician, and I feel like that also is what set up all the college programs that like you and I went to college for. Right. Like, oh yeah, no, these were all established in the seventies, and sure you can be a working musician and travel around and make a decent living and and have a nuclear family. Uh, North Texas State, holy cow, the program down at North Texas State. One o'clock band, two o'clock band, three o'clock band. That's you. I was a two o'clock band. There you are. I was a two o'clock band. Jason likes to sleep in. Yeah, (laughs) that was two p.m. Not two (laughs) a.m. Yeah, North Texas is. Yeah, North Texas is great. That's a whole other show and a whole other conversation about music school. But yeah, so yeah, so I feel like that's really cool. Anybody who was out there like just killing it in the seventies. Well, for those for those listening, for those of you who play uh, happen to play an instrument, if you ever get a look. At an instrument that's been played, you you you'll you'll know it versus an instrument that sat under a bed. And I've seen Steve's bass. <laughs> and uh, it don't is embarrass a, the man. A, oh no no no! That is that's 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 like a that's a badge of honor right there. The 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 miles that he put on that instrument. And one of the most interesting things about it, if you flip the bass over, he had put a set list. On the back of the base. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's not a set list because you can't read it. You know what it is? It was it was to keep my belt buckle from scratching the, oh, right. uh, the base. <laughs> yeah. Very oh, nice. Very cool instrument. Um, so now you, you, you you're at this point. We're taking we're into the tail end of the '70s. So, at what point did you decide to? And if, if, is there someone that you could you could credit or, or or make note of that said, "Hey, why don't you?" make a move into into theater like how did that transition happen the transition happened is that i had gotten married uh and um uh, despite the fact that i had gotten married while doing this job um she was pretty convinced that she was going to be able to talk me out of it after a while uh, and we had a child uh, uh my son uh sim simon and so uh, when the band was going to break up, I was going to put it back together again with new people. And she convinced me to try to go back to, you know, uh, uh, have a real job. And so I did. I went back. We moved back to St. Louis, we bought a house, bought, got a real job working for a paint manufacturing company. Uh, and so there we are. Uh, I'm working. And uh, the marriage did not work out despite the fact that I had a real job, uh, so that obviously wasn't the problem. I started doing theater avocationally at a community theater in suburban St. Louis in Kirkwood, where uh, our house was. It was the Kirkwood Theater Guild. Uh, and then I started doing it kind of all over the area. I worked, uh, I did shows kind of in several different places, all community theater, in other words, you know, for free, it was a hobby. You rehearsed after di- after uh, work in the evenings, and usually after dinner, like seven to ten, and you rehearsed for a long period of time, and then did the show maybe four or five times. One of the directors of a very good show, a production cabaret that we did, was going to audition along with some other people at uh, at a new professional theater. Uh, and um, it was called Summer Stage. And so I said, yeah, all right, I'll go. And I went, and a few weeks later, I think they lost somebody, and uh, they called me, of all the people, probably because uh, of uh, not my acting ability, because I didn't know what the hell I was doing in those days. Uh, But uh, 
it was a production of 1776, and I think they needed a strong singer in the ensemble, so I played a guy that, uh, the guy from New Hampshire, Bartlett. Uh, so he called me, and I, I figured out a way to make that work within my uh, schedule, and then I was off and running and starting to do pro things. Then the big pro theater in St. Louis uh, was holding auditions, and all of these people that I had been doing community theater with were going down to audition for the Muni. Now, the Muni in St. Louis is a big outdoor theater with 11,600 seats. It's really big. Uh, it's a 110-foot proscenium with a 90-foot revolve, uh, and uh, it's huge. And I got a call, and all of a sudden, I was in Carnival, which is a show that I did in high school. Uh, and there are four puppets. Uh, there are four, four voices. Uh, there's a little boy. Uh, uh, a diva opera singer, uh, a um, uh, a walrus who's just dumb and sweet as can be, and a fox who's kind of tricky and evil. Uh, and so I did I did them voices for them, and I ended up doing them in that production. And then that production moved out of town to Atlanta, uh, and all of a sudden now I'm a can professional we a actor. Of the voices. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the walrus is pretty good. Oh, the fox is pretty sly, you know, and he talks a little like this. Okay. And the diva. <laughs> Ooh, well, she's falsetto, and I don't have that as, uh, at my age anymore. So, so now you have these. You, they hired you for the job. You did it, and now you're now you're a professional working at the Muni. Uh, yeah, and then I worked for the Muni again the next year, and I uh, worked did some other work at another professional theater, and I had my union card, and then so I decided in 1982. Uh, that I was going to to move to New York it was going on a try. Uh, you know, I had seen a lot of theater and I'd seen a lot of touring shows, and I saw who was coming through in the touring shows, and I thought I think I can do that. And for five years, I worked very consistently, 40, 45 weeks a year, 100% out of town. I would I would go here and then I'd come back and audition, go here. I did a couple of national tours, which was very fortunate. Uh, so uh, now, all of a sudden, I'm working professionally and finally auditioned and uh, got a Broadway show. Uh, it was different because I had been doing mostly leads and large supporting uh, uh, jobs, although for Little Shop of Horrors, I was, uh, the, I was the understudy. So I understudied uh, the voice of the plant, and uh, the character that's in the, in the program is titled uh, Oren Bernstein, Snip Loose, and everyone else, uh, which, and he plays like seven characters. Uh, it's a, it's a fun part, part. And then the Anything Goes happened in 1987, and I was in that show, uh, all the way through the run through 1989 when it closed, so we did over 800 performances of that show. Uh, and then I worked out of town again, uh, did a production of Camelot, and then I, then the Buddy Holly story auditioned, uh, in, um, uh, in New York, and I got that, uh, and so I, I did the Buddy Holly story, uh, both out of town, pre-Broadway and Broadway, so that was well over a year of it. I auditioned for a piece called uh, Return to the Forbidden Planet. Three, two, one. Ignition! Which is based on the movie Forbidden Planet, uh, which itself is based on The Tempest of Shakespeare except it's made to be about, you know, this space travel and this and, and what have you. Uh, and if you're smart about Shakespeare, which I'm not all that smart, uh, but if you're smart about Shakespeare, you can actually go, oh, that's from Romeo and Juliet. 
1990, that beat Miss Saigon for best musical at the uh, at the awards in in England in London. And both Buddy Holly and Return to the Forbidden Planet required actors who played music, so that helped me to get into those uh, in, into those shows. Return to the Forbidden Planet, I played five instruments and uh, played Doctor Prospero. But we, it was all 50s and 60s rock and roll, and it was billed as uh, Shakespeare's forgotten rock and roll masterpiece. <laughs> um, and uh, the Buddy Holly story, uh, again, I was playing five instruments for that one. Well, that's good because as a, as a, you know, there are people who definitely can say that I'm an, they're an actor musician, meaning that they can act like a musician. But it's always good in, in these in the birth of all these jukebox musicals that uh, have seen to be coming out in the last 40 years to 30 years, you are an actual instrumentalist. So this is yet another realm of, of when yeah. learning an instrument, you can step into it. Like, what can I do if I, uh, oh, I could step into the role of there, always needed. Well, yeah. I have a question on that. Is uh, When you do all these historical revival kind of shows, Jersey Boys and all that kind of thing, uh, although that one's more vocal, uh, do they go, do they say, I'm going to go get a musician and we musicians and that sound and look and can play like somebody and then we're going to mush them in as actors to be able to perform it or do they go say let's get the actors and then we're going to try to train them enough that they can then pull this off usually they uh, ask first for actors who already know how to play so people that are pursuing an acting career as opposed to a musician who maybe has never tried to act before but uh, usually, it's they're looking for actors first, unless they're unless the role is really a ringer. You know, it's really a musician that might have a few lines. When doing theater, the most important thing is it needs to ring truthful. How do you end up then uh, spearheading a community theater down the Jersey Shore? How did that come about? It's a professional theater. Uh, the term community theater really means uh, is that it's uh, an amateur theater. It's people doing it for the love of it, but uh, we, we all, all of our actors are paid. Uh, and so, uh, and in fact, of the regional theaters in, in uh, New Jersey, there are now 42 regional theaters of varying sizes. We're the fifth largest, both in, ter- both in terms of audience as well as budget. I'll make sure I understood and heard that correctly. There are over 40 theaters in New Jersey where people are being paid to do their art? That's that's pretty amazing. I never would have guessed that. We, I, we, we always do a lot of guess guess how many yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have thought like 10. Uh, so to, ha, ha, how'd, you, how'd you get here? Uh, I got a, a tour that came into Broadway and that was uh, State Fair in 1996. Uh, and after that finished, I auditioned some more and I... I d- Audition for the new production of Cabaret. And realized that wasn't sure I wanted to continue doing that. And I had started directing in the city. Uh, and um, so I, I directed a couple of shows. How did you get to how'd you get to New Jersey after you directed? So now you're Well, after directing a few shows and not sure I wanted to continue to put myself through the audition process that I had had for cabaret. <laughs> and so I started applying for for uh, positions and this one was advertising in October of uh, 1997, I think it was. 
the idea was to do the show, I mean, do the shows and do the season. Uh, I helped pick the season in February because I was hired, I guess, uh, in December and I came down in February. Uh, and, but the idea was kind of to let it operate the way it was operating. It was actually a for-profit organization in those days. Then it became obvious that the guy that hired me would love, I uh, would love to sell it, but nobody wants to buy a theater. Uh, and I said, well, a nonprofit organization might be interested in buying it. He says, okay, find me one. So there was a friends of organization here that, you know, raised money to help the intern program. I mean, they raised about $10,000 a year. Uh, I got together with them and uh, we created a plan uh, w along with the Economic Development Authority to uh, do tax-exempt bonds to allow people to invest. And I got, in those days, it was Commerce Bank. Now it's TD Bank. But Commerce Bank bought about half of the bonds and uh, the people that owned it took back the other half because they were going to make a nice tax-exempt interest on it. And it became a nonprofit organization in 2001. What advice do you have to anybody that would want to live your life? Be the best that you can be. You know, that that means having more patience than I did when I uh, decided that I didn't want to take piano lessons. And continue to study and continue to learn. I went back to school. Uh, and so I got about a year's worth of credits toward a master's in acting because I thought if I'm going to do this, I really better not just fly by the seat of my pants. I better learn what technique is. I still continue to learn, which is why I try to attend. I don't just go to theater once in a while. I go all, I go a lot. Uh, and I see uh, for 10 years, I was, uh, I was a Tony voter. So I, I got to see absolutely everything that, that came on Broadway. And that was great. But I continue to do that as much as I can, or as much as I can afford it and, uh, try to see things. I've seen most of the ones that are nominated for, uh, Tony's. So you have to invest in, you have to invest in your art, uh, both with time and with money. Let's face it, how much equipment does every musician you know have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're literally doing this show from, like, basically in the middle of a warehouse room. It's yeah. just, I, I'm staring at a stack of cymbals <laughs> and, like, boxes of amp. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell this quick story. My introduction to meeting Steve, and this was great. He hires me for a production of the Buddy Holly story. I went to his house, and he... He has a music stand for me and some music, and I bring my guitar, I bring an amplifier, and uh, he goes, oh, hold on one second, let me get my bass so I can, I can play with you. Well, just like we have lots of equipment, he has, you name it, in that garage for his shows, bins and Rubbermaids, and it's like a labyrinth of all this stuff. He disappears into the abyss of his garage behind a pile of Rubbermaids. And he's just kind of, I hear some rustling, I hear some movement, and all of a sudden, I hear a crash. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I see some Rubbermaids tip over, and then all of a sudden, Steve emerges from the rubble. But before I see Steve, I just see a hand and the bass. I got it! He go, and he just exclaims, I, I found it! And he walks I'm out. Okay. I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he has the, and he has, and he has the bass that we were yeah. talking about from all those years ago in question. And he plugs it in, and he looks, he looks at me, and, he plays it and goes. It even tune it. He goes. Just, he goes. It's still in tune. Oh, it's still in tune. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that bass holds tune really well. Well, yeah, yeah, I should say so. I think we did great. Uh, yeah, Steve. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, and, Steve. And, thank uh, you so yeah. much for um, coming on and sharing your 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 story. Hopefully, you've inspired some some people. It's a it, it's a bit of a crazy story with a lot of bends and turns, but uh, 
And there's more to it, but that's the that's most of the high points. There we go. Well, I, I think that sounds like an invite to come back. That's right. We'll finish it up. So I want to just Any, I want anytime you want. Yeah, I want to plug, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the area and you're looking for some good uh, theater, or maybe you want to catch a concert, please make sure you check out not just any of the theaters here in New Jersey, but make sure you check out the Surflight Theater in Beach Haven, New Jersey. The URL? It's uh, surflight.org. Steve, thank you very much. Thank you, Jamin. All right. <laughs> you have a good one, Steve. Take okay. care. Thanks a lot.